Hi, everybody. This is Tony Khan, the producer and director of Morning Stories from WGBH in Boston. Once in a blue moon, we'll get a story from the printed page. Not too often, though. And it's not because we have anything against stories that have been published. It's just that very rarely do the published books come with a real live author's voice. And it's the voice we want to be able to hear, too. Well, that changed when we got a visit from David Ebenbach, He was in Boston here to sell his new book, in fact, his first book, a collection of short stories called Between Camelots. Winner, it says here, of the uh, True Heinz Literature Prize. What's that? True Heinz of the Ketchup Heinzes, you know, is this very wealthy woman who does not have to be spending her money on literature, but does. It's now up to $15,000 for a short story writer, maybe a whole year's worth of income, you know. Um, I've certainly done worse than that in some years. You have some good recipes for cardboard? Yeah. <laughs> it's delicious if you have the right amount of seasonings. Heinz, so, I guess, right? Heinz ketchup. Heinz ketchup. <laughs> Everyone should go out and get some Heinz ketchup. The collection's called Between Camelots, and that's, be, you know, in a sense, where I think we do most of our living is between these high points of uh, having maybe a huge circle of friends and everybody's close, you know, the commune idea or something, the kibbutz. I write about people who, whether in their families or in romantic relationships, are trying to find uh, the connection that they need to sustain them. Uh, And it's like a search for food. Uh, It's urgent. Connections are scarcer than, well, I don't know if they're scarcer than they used to be, but they're scarcer than they ought to be. The story that I'd love to have you read for what it doesn't say as much as for what it does is right at the beginning of your book. It's called Misdirections. Okay, Misdirections. My wife is using the mice as an excuse to let our marriage fall apart. All night they crawl around in our walls, and we can hear them gnawing. They're gnawing at the foundation of our marriage, she says. She complains I won't do anything about them or about anything else, and that's the problem. Neither of us mentions the man whose sweat she smells like these days. But I put out humane traps, little plastic, opaque boxes for them to get cornered in. Our son loads the peanut butter into the back ends. That same evening, we've got our first mouse. The box rattles on the kitchen tiles. My son and I are going to go release it by the lake, and he asks his mother to come. He knows and doesn't know. She wipes her hands dry and reluctantly agrees. I can feel the mouse moving in the box as we walk down Jennifer Street. Because it's a strange feeling, I let my son carry it a while. He squeals with the thrill of it, but my wife is silent. I think of something. I ask my son, what if it finds its way back? His eyes grow wide. It's three blocks, my wife says. The mouse isn't that smart. Well, maybe... I say loudly and wink at my son. I just hope it doesn't remember to head for Spate Street and turn left and go to the fifth house. That's not how you get to our house. I'm giving the mouse misdirections. My son laughs, excited. Despite herself, so does my wife. She looks at me And then at our son, surprising me, she says, I hope the thing doesn't tell all the other mice about our house on spate, either. Soon we're all giving loud misdirections, just like a family. By the lake, we all stoop down, and I prepare to let the mouse go. 
Our son has his eyes wide and mouth open, surprised and awed in advance. I look up at my wife, and she's looking at me expectant, hopeful. This mouse, I think, is giving me my family back. Lowering the box to the ground, I put my finger on the little door, ready. I am almost asking her with my eyes whether we might keep the mouse. Can we? When she sees that question, though, her face answers by sinking out of its smile. She sighs and looks away from me. I open the door before I've even caught sight of the mouse. It's completely gone. Beautiful story. I, there's not a single character in that story that I can't identify with, including the mouse. <laughs> I often get it as a question at readings. You know, is this you? I want people to not assume that it has to have actually happened to be powerful. Not that this happened to you, mm -hmm. but could something like this have happened to me? Right. A cousin-in-law of mine and his wife were sitting down to dinner in some restaurant. They had just bought my book in a bookstore, so while he was off in the bathroom, she started to read. The first story is a page long, so she can actually get a whole story read by the time he gets back. But by the time he gets back to the table, she's weeping. And so my cousin-in-law sort of... Uh, kicked my butt a little bit about provoking that. She didn't want a divorce, did she? No. Nobody smells like anybody else's sweat in that family. It's a wonderful marriage. Um, well, then let me tell you what, what happened for me. Great. Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, Please. Uh, the part that really got to me was the ways in which misdirection is unavoidable between a parent and a child. Mm -hmm. You're trying to protect your child from experience, and you're trying to give it the strength that comes from knowing you can handle experience. you got to let people make their own mistakes. When the, the person in question is your kid, it's real hard to do and you get very mixed up. Well, right. my father got into a lot of trouble because of his politics. Mm. This is back in the time of the Red Scare, and the Cold War. He really felt that if he didn't flee the country, he might end up in prison. So when I was six, well, I was five years old, actually. He, and my brother was eight. He had to flee the United States for Mexico, and he came in and he told us that he was going to San Francisco. Mm. He didn't want us to worry, but he didn't want us to know the truth in case someone should come asking for him, and we might inadvertently give them the information they needed to find him. Very much as in sure. your story, you know, you want to tell the mouse the wrong direction to go in. Mm -hmm. And you remember worrying about the, the person, trying to help them and knowing that you can't, feeling used because you were told something that wasn't true, that they didn't trust you, and so on and so forth. And yet, as you get older, you understand how, how sad and how tragic and how unavoidable it sometimes is that you can't tell the truth, mm. or the truth is more than you can handle. Mm -hmm. I love that. You know, and, and you've touched on something that was, for me, a, a deep experience in a period of history that happened long before you were even born. How does that make you feel to realize, you know, that your, your story really is true on a lot of levels? Well, I mean, it's indescribable how it makes me feel. It's, it's the goal, you know, to mm. think that your story has effects beyond, I mean, they really are just a pile of words, unless they're not just a pile of words. And to hear that they would connect to all these different things, I mean, it's great. Somebody's going to get this podcast, they're going to hear you reading a story, 
With mm-hmm. podcasts, you can hear things repeatedly, which is great. makes it better than a broadcast. How can they reach you? I'm at uh, davidebenbach.com. I would love to hear from anybody. I hope we'll get to hear from you and maybe sit down and talk with you again soon. Great. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Gary Mott is with me in the studio right now and listening very quietly to that story. Gary, I'm wondering what it brings up for you. There's so much that the listener can bring to that story mm-hmm. because all the all the cracks and crevices aren't filled in for you. I mean, you commented on the the father-child relationship. I didn't I didn't get that at all because right, that's not right. that's not my experience. I'm so glad to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about those that I know that are mm-hmm. trapped. Mm-hmm in unhappy relationships and how vital it is to hold on to those shared moments. That mouse that became almost an angel, a savior for them at that moment, right? And that, you know, was that, could that have been a turning point? Mm. Could the man have stood up and mm. and said, you know, I love you? And yeah, I right. mean, without painting with too broad a brush here (laughs) you know it's all about giving the minute you think that you should be getting as much as you give that spells trouble his reading is wonderful and i found things in it this time that i hadn't heard the first time he leaves plenty of space in between sentences to allow allow the listener to let it sink in that's a gift speaking about other people who've written with feeling <laughs> you've got you got some email there, yes? Got a little note from Berta from Oklahoma. Podcasts are the most fantastic new media form. I have found several great shows by recommendations on a podcast. Uh, I love stories, and especially those of strangers that I can relate to or simply expand my worldview. I would like to thank you for all you do, and I hope you continue to make enthralling podcasts. Well, isn't that nice? From Berta. Thanks, my my whole impression of Oklahoma has just been turned around. <laughs> Frankly, I haven't refreshed my opinion of Oklahoma since I was, well, let's just say since the late 60s. The late 60s. <laughs> when it tended to be inhospitable to people of my hair length. Uh, but a lot has changed since then, obviously, including the state of my hair. So, anyways, great to hear from Oklahoma, Berta. An anonymous writer. Mm-hmm. I recently discovered your podcast when I finally purchased an iPod. I've just now been through the backlog of your old morning stories and I'm finally caught up. There is one that has moved me to comment, and he writes on and on about the story Mother Duck, mm-hmm. one of mm-hmm. our, uh, a Tony Khan voice. An early effort. Uh, an early, um, <laughs> but definitely early worth bird. Me hearing. Uh, he says, keep up the good work. I listened to your stuff on the number one train in New York. One other uh, email here from Alan and Jackie in Silver Spring, Maryland. They say, uh, we are moved by the adoption story, My Kids, which we had on just recently. Two of our grandchildren, by the way, were openly adopted. Incidentally, Alan was a WGBH fellow in 1958-59. At the time, WGBH's logo was an ancient symbol for family. We were so enamored of this symbol, which represents a combination of a figure for man with his arms raised toward heaven and woman with her feet planted in the fertile soil and two children that we incorporated into the design for Jackie's engagement ring and Alan's wedding band. 
Well, isn't that lovely? They turned it into a family crest. And in the spirit of public broadcasting, I would like to point out to them that they are in violation of a trademark and they're subject to a $100,000 fine, which, however, could be turned into a contribution to Morning Stories. We're happy to send you an address. Just send us an email at morningstories at wgbh.org. And another one who will thank you because then they won't have to support us alone is Ipswich, a leader in file transfer software. Our sponsors, Ipswich, I-P-S-W-I-T-C-H. You can check them out at their website. Tony, it's been a great year, 2005. (laughs) It has indeed, and it's been a wonderful one with you, Gary. So thanks for all your help, too. And we'll see you next year. Happy New Year. We'll catch you then. Bye-bye.